guys, you're listening to Bento Podcast. We're a podcast series for and by millennials that talks about topics and issues surrounding our generation. And we're bringing you stories of millennials from all over the world and their journey. I'm your host, Ben, and let's get this episode started. What is up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Bento Podcast. This is episode number seven of season three. FNB industry during COVID-19 and today we have a very special guest on the show. He is the CEO and culinary director of Queen's Tandoor, an Indian restaurant that has been in Jakarta, one of the best Indian restaurants, in fact one of my favorite Indian restaurants in Jakarta, Queen's Tandoor. They have been around for 34 years and now I'm with the CEO and also the culinary director. Uh, here we go, we have Giresh Shamdasani. Welcome. Welcome Giresh. Thanks Brandon. Thanks Brandon. Thanks for having me here. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. Awesome. Definitely have, uh, you know, it, this is definitely a very special episode because uh, Queens for me is a very important part of my life in a sense. Like it introduced me to Indian food. And even till today, mm-hmm. I would still say that Queens is my favorite you know, Indian restaurant. And this, this is not joking. I, I literally legit love Queens. So this is definitely a great episode for me. Yeah. Really, really, that's a big shout. Thank you so much. And I'm so, so keen on sharing my experiences with uh, your viewers as well. All right, cool. So just a little bit about Ganesh here. So he finished his studies in England and he's a second generation uh, restaurateur. And so Queens is a family business, just like a lot of the FNB uh, restaurants out there uh, all around the world. This is also a very, you know, a very intimate business, a family business that has been passed down so now Giresh is about to receive it maybe in the future so he's managing the restaurant right now he's the second generation restaurant tour so Giresh uh, just to get you know just to get things started you know uh, you are in the family business and you're managing um, one of the most in fact I would say personally I think the most uh, famous Indian restaurant in Jakarta so how did you get started in this whole you know FNB industry thing? Well, actually, Queens uh, has been a part of me growing up as well. So it's because it's been in existence for 34 years yep. um, and it's a family business. You know, there's a lot of times growing up that I'll spend uh, my time in Queens mm-hmm. uh, together with my family and my staff. So it's not just uh, since I graduated uh, university that I jumped in and dived in the, to the restaurant. But it's growing up, uh, you know, there's always been a part of me that's just Queens, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's the same for a lot of our uh, old clientele and customers as well. And even Indian kids growing up in Indian households, uh, Queens has been a part of them. Um, and having said that, I did my studies in England, um, did two six months placements uh, with my university, one working in a media company and one working in investment banking. Right. And both of them just uh, really did not attract me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I remember it was August uh, 5th. On 2013, I just got back on England. It was a Friday, I think. And, uh, and I was like, you know what? Uh, I'm just going to start, you know, diving in the family business. And it was the Monday I was already in the office. Uh, it took me about two, three days to just, just get in the business. And at first, um, I was not really too sure about what my role was. As you know, how a family business is, they just put you uh, up there and tell, them to, and tell you to manage almost everything. Right. Um, and it was quite confusing initially, and it was quite challenging with the generation gaps and so on. Um, and we had to sort of define clear roles. And I had to push myself to sort of start from the bottom 
um, in the service area as well to learn uh, hands-on uh, because prior to that, I never had experience in hospitality. Right. So FNB has been basically, you know, a part of your life ever since, you know, ever since you were little, you know, you've been a part of the family business ever since forever. But what really pulled you into the FNB, uh, you know, industry in the first place? Like what made, what made it interesting for you? I think more than just the food, um, it's the people management and the networking that you get a part of the job. So uh, at Queens, we don't only own uh, restaurants. A part of our business, uh, big businesses are also involved in uh, caterings for destination weddings, for example. Yep. So I used to spearhead that uh, for the last three or four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and used to travel with a team of chefs, um, for example, to Thailand or to Bali, and some even to the Middle East to execute destination Indian weddings. And this is where I sort of had a very, very... Um, uh, open-minded sort of exposure to different food, different people, and how, uh, you know, people are being managed in different um, uh, countries and cultures um, right. and so on. And that's what kept, kept me interested because um, the innovation that was involved in my catering uh, sector of the business as well was really high and, and the networking was super, super high. So being exposed to this, these different types of people and culture really kept me interested in the business. Right. So, you know, what, what is exactly is uh, your main project right now with Queens? Like, what exactly are you up to right now? So, obviously, since the pandemic, um, the catering business has uh, taken a pause, um, no doubt. And that's right. when I actually helped, uh, I mean, got back into the restaurant business. So, what happened was before last year, I was spearheading the catering business and my, my other family members, my dad and my brothers, was helping out in the restaurant, uh, per se, in Jakarta and in Bali. Um, but ever since the catering uh, business got on pause, that's where, again, I uh, dived in back into the restaurant. And, and ever since, it's really just about adapting uh, every single month and taking it step by step. Because at this pandemic, you really don't know what the government is going to throw you, yeah. uh, throw at you, I mean, in terms of the lockdowns and, and so on. So it's really just about taking it step by step every month and um, seeing how to survive and adapt um, so that once the storm passes, you know, you know, you still have a strong uh, team and a strong brand. Right. So speaking of, you know, uh, you said just now that your catering business uh, has to take a, you know, take a backseat during this pandemic. But aside from that, how would you say that, you know, how has COVID affected your business in general? So in Jakarta alone, we had three restaurants. Um, when COVID started uh, making serious impacts, we had to shut down two and we were only rolling out deliveries of one, which is on our main branch in Tamrin. Mm-hmm. Uh, our Sunter branch, for example, who's been, a, it's been around us for 15, 20 years. Unfortunately, we had to close that down. Not so much because of the pandemic, but prior to that, we were also not uh, making enough to sustain a uh, good enough reason to open. That was more like a home because a lot of the Indian clientele lived around in North Jakarta and, you know, we had that place for sort of to give them that comfort environment. But right. we were not really making enough uh, in that side. So we had we were left only with two restaurants in, in the city, one in Simatupang, which is called uh, Bambaya, and Queen Standur in Tamrin. And Bambaya only managed to open again, uh, thankfully, two months ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, Queens uh, Touchwood has been quite strong ever since uh, August. We've been making grounds. We have adapted well, um, and and that's that with with Queens. 
in br our branches in Bali, for example, we have four, we had four outlets. And as you know, 95% of the, you know, the business in Bali comes from tourists. Yep. So out of the four branches, again, we only managed to roll out one and the, the other three are closed at the moment, but hopefully we'll see in the next four or five months, uh, we will be able to open the outlets one by one. Actually, you know, uh, when I heard about um, the Suntar branch closing, I think that was the, the most painful moment of my life because yeah. that is that is also the first uh, Queens that I've ever visited, and that's the only Queens that I've always go uh, gone to. So that's always like my go-to spot whenever I go on and go for Indian food. But unfortunately, it's you know it's just not in Suntar anymore. So that's definitely you know. Yeah, yeah, it's a sad. Actually, we just we just uh, actually managed to pass it on to another uh, tenant last month. I see. Um, so it's not been long, but um, I hope I hope they do quite, you know, uh, make justice to the place. <laughs> <laughs> because it's pretty really, sure. it really I'm, gives I'm a lot of nostalgia. Sure it's not going to be as good as like the original Queens, but yeah, I would yeah, still prefer it, going to Tamarind then in this sense. Like, I think that's, <laughs> that's where I'm going to go for my Indian food. So, uh, you know, Giresh, you just, you, you mentioned just now um, how, uh, your business has adapted, especially Queens. You said uh, Queens was doing very strong. And uh, despite the pandemic, it was able to still, you know, sustain its performance. But, you know, as a restaurateur yourself, you know, during this pandemic, what has been, you know, the biggest challenge for your FNB business? And how did, if you, if, you know, from, from those challenges, how did you overcome those challenges? I think the biggest challenge was trying to keep our employees um, together and ensuring them, you know, that, you know, the storm will pass eventually. Um, because a lot of, I mean, most of my employees have actually been with me on an average of, with the family, I mean, on an average of 15 or 20, 20 years. So these guys are like family. And to see some of them, you know, being feeling stressed out or some of them being furloughed at home as well, um, and one or two maybe resigning. It's really a sad thing uh, for for the family as well. Um, so that that was really the biggest challenge, keeping them together, um, making them feel that you know what, um, this all of this is going to be over soon. So that was the biggest challenge for me, and I overcame it. Well, we overcame it when when the pandemic hit us. We were we had a period of closure about one month, I think, from March to April, uh, before we reopened deliveries and before we reopened deliveries. I actually met with the whole team and I, I told them, um, you know what, you guys have been with us for this long and you know, there's no chance that I'm going to just leave you alone like that. Um, so we kept priority for, for the old employers, uh, employees as well who've been working with us. Um, and we sort of fought the pandemic together, I'd say. Uh, obviously, they had to take some hits with their salary, um, but it was the support from them and also the building management, for example, where, where we've been here for 20 years, they've really supported us in terms of, um, you know, uh, having a little compensation here and there with uh, our negotiations, better negotiations or better deals with, with tenancy rates and salary rates and so on. And um, more than that, I think, you know, being a leader, you got to show them that you are there at the restaurant as well every single day, um, because it, that was the concern about working at the restaurant and you know working from home uh but i had to make sure that you know these guys know that you know i'm actually here fighting for them as well right so you know i think 
like what you mentioned just now, like with the staff, like I think that's always been uh, a big challenge for any business, not just FNB, you know, like, you know, furloughing staff has yeah. not been easy, but especially since, you know, all your employees are long-term employees who have been with your family for, you know, decades, so to speak, you know, in your opinion, uh, was it easier that, you know, this was a family restaurant and this was a family run business? Was it easier to overcome these challenges because it was a family business or did you think there were more challenges because it was a family business? Um, I agree. Maybe the level of trust uh, between the employees and the family and the management, you know, it's, it's a lot higher than if you were working in a corporate restaurant, I think. Um, because these guys sort of, you know, carried me growing up as well. Right. Um, and to actually tell some of them, you know, guys, listen, you know, I, I can't have you. I can't afford you. Um, at the moment, you know, I need you to stay home. It's like, I feel like crap, like at that right. point, you know, but slowly over the months, we eventually hired um, them back. And when we reopened Bambaya as well in Simatupang, you know, we managed to get almost all our employees uh, on board. Um, so having a huge transparency, we have a big transparency within the family and the employees. Um, and that, that makes it slightly easier, I would say. But you have a lot of... Um, you know, a lot of these staff as well feeling that, you know, whether it's worth to stay in Jakarta, because a lot of them comes from uh, different other regions outside of Jakarta, right, where it's yeah. probably cheaper for them to stay. So that's, that's also one of the challenges, uh, trying to keep them on board here and making sure their daily life is being sustained as well. So, you know, I would say that Queens have been able to perform as well is because of the trust that, you know, that exists between you as, you know, the restaurateur and your staff as the employees, like there's that high level of trust that's been built over years. Like that's what's been keeping, you know, Queens strong throughout this whole year then. Correct. I mean, the consistency, for example, our chefs who've been with us for about 20, 25 years now, our head chef, you know, mm-hmm. um, that's where, you know, when you keep staff like this and you treat them with such respect, you know, they're still going to perform with you, even if they work with you that long, they will not take the back seat and feel comfortable they know this is a journey that they have to fight to, um, not just for themselves, but for the restaurant. Uh, so when they have that vision with you, um, you know, you, you know, you have a strong team behind you. And I think in that sense, you can overcome anything, I think. So, you know, in, in that sense, what, in your opinion, at least, like what should a restaurant have or need in order to survive during this pandemic? Um, obviously, the, every restaurant will have different scenarios in terms of the cash flow, for example, in reserves, whether uh, it is important for them to have their employees, again, different relationships. Um, right. But I think in order to survive, you got to go back um, to your roots. When, when I say that is that every restaurant have their own stories, right? And how they were built and what's, what's been happening over the years and you know how you sort of build that emotional connection with your customers. So with Queens, we have a lot of that. And what happened was we sort of wanted to go back there and bridge that uh, connection again with our customers. This is the best time to do it, you know. Um, You have so much time in your hands. You can give away free recipes, for example. Uh, You can talk about your memories with your customers, for example. And sort of, you know, make sure, tell your customers that your brand still exists. Constantly remind them that your brand still exists. So have a, have a good story, uh, stick to your storyline. Storytelling is a, is a great shout. Um, that really helped us. The second thing I would say is definitely innovation. 
we were not really set up, uh, you know, in the digital, uh, you know, in the digital side of, of, of the industry. Uh, we did not have a great Instagram page, a great website. And it was only after the pandemic, like, I started hiring, uh, you know, more creative side, uh, more creative people in, in the team. And people will be like, why are you hiring now? You know, I need the people now to sort of bring us up digitally stronger and sort of uh, innovate better dishes as well. So it sort of keeps the ball rolling all the time. You're not just seeing the same thing because there's a lot of competition from online cloud kitchens now, which offer more affordable rates um, than you, you know, so what do you got to do? One of the things we did was, for example, elevating experiences, uh, meal experiences at home. So we created like a supper club box whereby we changed the menu every week. And it's not so much like you would uh, actually make the cook the ingredients yourself at home, but we've separated the ingredients and you got to do a little experiential cooking at home with your family. And, you know, you have a, a sort of gourmet dining experience, but at home. So right. innovation is one thing, sticking to your roots, storytelling uh, is another, I think. So, you know, speaking of digital, digital has been a word that's been, you know, buzzing around a lot, especially the past year during the pandemic. So how important is digital for a restaurant, especially, you know, like moving forward? It's super important. I cannot stress that. And um, it's, it's not so much more, again, about having food photos or food videos or food promotions out there or FNB ads or Insta ads. Like these are probably going to be better for your cloud-based kitchens and your fast, you know, to-go food and stuff like that. But every sort of restaurant needs to have a story. If you see now, a lot of restaurants in Indonesia have moved towards personal branding. Um, and they have used the digital uh, platforms like Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok um, as a platform to communicate their message. So it's not just the food. So if you look at um, the Union Group, for example, and Australia Roma, uh, is one, you know, there's Chef Luca there, or uh, you have uh, Chef Max from Bird Greens, you know, these guys are actually really, you know, even Chef Andre from Oma Eli, you know, so, yeah. you know, a lot of their brands are heavily relied on storytelling, uh, which keeps it interesting for the people because you're spoiled for choice in Jakarta, you have every cuisine in every corner now, Oh yeah. right? Yeah. What differentiates your brand from the other brands? So that strong story, that strong root that you have uh, upon every dish that you come up with, upon the, the ambience of the restaurant, why did you have it this way, uh, will be a differentiator, um, um, you know, keeping yourself uh, stronger than your competitors, I think. So, you know, looking at, you know, the FNB industry in Indonesia right now, especially, you know, we see a lot of uh, chefs coming out, opening restaurants and like you said, you know, telling their side of the story and kind of showing like why their food is different. And so like in your case, how did how did Queens tell their story? So yeah, it was pretty interesting during um, the pandemic when we closed the restaurant at that during between uh, March to April, I think what I did personally, I started a recipe cooking uh, show on Instagram. Uh, showcasing my mom's secret recipes and uh, you know from there I moved on to showcasing queen's secret recipes so and I sort of built my personal brand slowly and I was seeing a higher engagement rate in my platform for example and I, I, I use the hashtag one which is 
uh, an Indian or a, in my case, a Sindhi, which is a region in India, is a term for nothing better to do. You know, and I was showing my community and my, my non-Indian friends uh, the perks of living in an Indian household. And it, it, it was pretty interesting. I saw a very high engagement. And then from there, I started showcasing Queen's recipes. And from there, I started showcasing the lost diaries of Queens, for example. There was another campaign um, that we came up with, which whereby I go through all the files of um, my mom's recipes and uh, the photos of my dad uh, working in, in we, were, we used to be in Jalan Petaran, behind yep. Istiklal. And that's where the hub of Indian cuisine was. And we were showcasing, you know, photos from that time, the staff, the catering uh, during that time. Uh, birthdays during that time, weddings during that time and in, in the Queens in Petaran. And it really got a high engagement rate at that point. And then when we opened, you know, whatever concepts or campaigns that we released was sort of accepted well, because prior to that, we sort of built this strong community fan base that people could trust, you know, that this brand still exists. We kept on reminding them that that way. So especially when you said uh, you gave your secret recipes, like your mom's secret recipes and your, you know, and Queen's yep. secret recipes. Like most people would think like, why would you do that? Like, that's like the only thing that makes Queen's special. Like, why would you want to give it away? So if, if that, if there's a question like that, and I'm pretty sure I think you've got that question before, how did you answer yeah. that? No, people thought I was crazy. I'll be real with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. Especially, especially my own, even my own brother's like, what the hell are you doing? You know? And I was like, you know, at the end of the day, you gotta, you gotta keep engaging with your, with your customer base. Um, these are, these are times that you can use to actually reflect on what uh, your customers have been uh, to you, what your staff has been to you, what the restaurant has been to you. And um, there's no better way to use Instagram and uh, TikTok or Facebook as a platform to do all of this. Um, you know, you'll be surprised. For example, even IKEA. Uh, actually show uh, release their Swedish uh, meatball recipe online and also uh, McDonald's also gave away their McMuffin and people thought like what the hell are they doing right, right. you would still never get that experience uh, of having the dish in the restaurant um, but it's just sort of you know giving a reminder to your guests that or to your clients that you know we are a brand that you can trust and you know we want to give back to you a little for what you have given us in the last 34 years Right. So, you know, hearing from all your stories and your experiences, it seems like the FNB industry right now is heading from selling food to selling experience. Like that's the, the vibe that I'm getting right now is that FNB industry is heading towards this, this uh, experience selling more than they do with food selling because food is just part of the experience, but experience like the whole package. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I cannot agree more um, because you have a flood of uh, food. Um, I would say, uh, you know, cloud kitchen companies now coming in. How do you differentiate yourself to paying, uh, you know, a fried rice in Queens would cost you 95000 for example, right? A Queens fried rice yeah. uh, versus uh, a fried rice you get in Taman uh, Senopati, you know? How would you differentiate yourself? You know, they both taste good. I'm not saying that the Thomas and Opati one doesn't taste great. So you yep. got to sell the experience, not so much about the restaurant itself, uh, where you come in. Of course, you pay that added value. You come in, you get seated, you get a great service. You know, they know the staff knows you by name. They know your favorite and so on. But uh, it's more than that. It's just the little stories that you have 
um, behind that particular dish. For example, in Queens, we have a famous dish called uh, Nasi Siram, uh, which is inspired by the streets of Pachanongan, where Queens initially uh, actually started, you know? So that dish still exists in Queens for the last 34 years. Now, how do we get to celebrate that dish today? You know, that, that story behind it, uh, the chef that, that still is still here from the last 30 years cooking that dish, that sort of experiential dining, when you come out, you explain the dish to the guests and you, you know, sort of tell the little stories and talk to your guests. And that's the sort of differentiated experience. So with Queens, we are going to change more into experiential dining as well, because now you see, a, you know, a rise in the trend of Indian food uh, in Indonesia. And I'm really glad that's the case as well. It allows us to explore more regional cuisines rather than just the traditional cuisines, uh, which most Indonesians are familiar with already. So we sort of rebranded ourselves as well during the pandemic and, and, and sort of, you know, start, I even hired a storyteller uh, a couple of weeks ago and her focus will be just telling stories of the dishes and the, the innovation that we came up with and also bring that nostalgia, connecting emotions. This I think will elevate overall your restaurant experience. Wait, so you hired a storyteller for your restaurant? Correct. Correct. I created a new role. <laughs> Wait, so, okay, because this I've never heard of a storyteller, you know, in any job yeah. or in any industry, let alone in a restaurant. So, yeah, what what like what inspired you to hire to have like a storyteller come on board and tell the story of your food, like food? Like, how did it come to that? As I said, um, when it comes to Instagram. So I learned during my, my time showcasing recipes with mom, you know, what made, what, what did, what made my sort of friends and families want to click next on my story, right? right. So every time I was showcasing a recipe, I was not just popping up and be like, hey guys, listen, I'm going to do this recipe now, take out your, uh, this pot and this ingredient and so on, and then do the, the show, right? It was more about um, telling the story behind the dish so that people actually wanted to explore this dish at home with their families. Right. So for example, during that time, um, I was, you know, giving out a recipe of um, my aunt's uh, two minute Maggie, Maggie cheese noodles, you know, right. which is Maggie is like an Indian Indomie. Yeah. And I spoke to my aunt uh, about it and asked her about the history about the dish. And it was about me going to her house every Indian New Year. And she's actually offering me this every time and it sort of bring back my childhood memories. And that's what I shared with my, with my friends and families before I actually released the recipe. And I saw a really high engagement rate in that. And I was like, you know what? This could actually work in Queens because we have a lot of stories uh, at the restaurant. We, for example, we even have a lot of the dishes in Queens that was named after my clients. So oh, and really? not a lot of people know that. Yeah. And one of the secrets that people don't know about us as well is we started off as a Chinese restaurant, uh, which was inspired by the food in Pachanongan. And the tandoor came into the brand name only in 91, after five years. So people do not know this. And there's so much story behind the restaurant uh, that we, you know, we have been through in the last 34 years. And we've been so uh, limiting ourselves into communicating our stories uh, to the public. And that's why I felt like we, we wanted to hire a storyteller. So her focus is not just to, uh, you know, be a creative director in Instagram where you post photos and you design uh, great graphics and motions and so on, but actually have built that emotional connection 
uh, with your with your clients as well. I see. Wow, that is actually very interesting. Uh, a lot of things that I've learned here today is that restaurants can also have storytellers, and uh, <laughs> that Queens used to be a Chinese restaurant in the beginning. I didn't know that. Those are two things that I just yeah. learned right now. That is awesome. Yeah, very cool. Wow. So. You know, you've told me a lot of things, you know, a lot of the initiatives that you're doing uh, with your restaurant during this pandemic, how you're trying to kind of just like, you know, make your restaurant stand out among all the other crowds, especially, you know, in, in an industry that is currently suffering. So personally, what do you feel has been your biggest you know, achievement during this pandemic? Um, number one is obviously with my employees, I've been managed, I've been able to we have been able to keep our, I mean, most important employees with us, I'd say, uh, and making them feel secure and, and, and happy still to be working with us. That's one of the biggest achievements. The second is when um, I, I, we actually launched a drive-in uh, experience uh, in the month of August, I think this was, where you know things were just slowly picking up. There was still a semi-lockdown going on, and I told my team, we've got to do something big even though we don't make money, let's just do something crazy. So when Queens was still, um, you know, ours at that time, in Sun Lake, I mean, uh, the, the North Jakarta branch, they had a huge parking lot space and, and then a sort of kitchen, which leads to the parking lot uh, and also to the restaurant, but behind to the parking lot. And we came up with the British Indian American menu, uh, a drive-in menu sort of where we had parking bays, uh, about 20 of them, we set up like parking slots um, um, in the parking area. So what happened was we called it the Indian Supper Club, you know, oh. and uh, drive-through edition. And we had actually about 500 people over two days uh, in different time slots. So we were serving from three o'clock till 10 o'clock and we would have 20 cars per slot every hour. Um, and that was quite crazy um, how we executed all of that in just a week. Because I, at that time, because the governor was supposed to do another lockdown, we were scared that, you know, if we were to postpone after two, three weeks, the drive-through wouldn't happen. So we executed the whole thing under one week. And um, that, was, that was quite a crazy experience. I'd say we had people, you know, having beers in the, in the back trunk of their car, pumping up music, you know, that sort of American <laughs> yeah. uh, backyard style. And yeah. we're serving our food as well not the traditional Indian food, but we sort of gave a more Americanized touch to an Indian-ish, I would call it. So we had like fried Indian fried chicken and waffles, sausage naan rolls, uh, you know, wow. uh, Indian chicken wings and stuff like that. And it was really good to see everybody get together after a whole lockdown, that too in a very safe environment. So are those menus still on the menu right now? Because I really want to try those, especially the naan sausage roll thing. <laughs> Yeah, so actually we're launching up a brunch menu soon, uh, hopefully next week uh, at the restaurant on on weekends. And that's going to be uh, relating to the stories of Anglo-Indian recipes, like British Indian recipes. Right. um, And also the nostalgic uh, disappearing Bombay cafes. So a lot of these dishes I mentioned are going to be available there. But what we are doing in Queens now, as I said, we have our basic menu as well, our traditional Queens menu that everybody loves, even the Chinese. But we sort of have folk been focusing more on regional cuisine. So every month we are going to come up with different, uh, go to different regions of India and sort of take up, uh, you know, a bit of their menus and sort of educate the market a little bit more 
of um, other regions, not just the, not the, not just the north and south uh, regions of India. I see. Wow. Well, I'm definitely going to be trying those uh, as soon as I can like uh, feel safe enough to go out and eat out. I'll definitely visit Queens. That's the first thing I'm going to do because that sounds really, yeah. really interesting. Be happy to host you. Awesome. So, you know, as we all know, basically uh, around the world and especially in Jakarta, you know, uh, the lockdowns are happening again. Uh, in fact, yeah. for those of, you know, for the Indonesian listeners out there, uh, you know, the lockdown has basically started since Monday and um, FNB industries are basically limited to 25% capacity, if I'm not wrong, 25%, I think. Correct. Correct. So, you know, you're faced with an, uh, yet another lockdown just when things are getting a, a bit better for the FNB industry. And so moving forward, you know, how different do you think, you know, would the FNB industry be after COVID? Like, what are the main differences that will happen and what are the main differences that should, yeah, that businesses uh, should adapt with in the future, you think? I think definitely improving their health and hygiene standards, which is, uh, you know, goes without questioning. Uh, that'd be one thing. The government will be stricter um, and probably having a certain, uh, you know, certificate or training scheme that they want us to do to make sure we abide with all the health protocols. Uh, that's going to be a lot tougher. Uh, so making sure your customers are safe and your employees are safe will be a, will be a, still be a priority, I think. Having said that, I think a lot of people, because they're, the focus is, of course, now increasing your immunity, right? Yep. Um, I wouldn't say people will turn more vegetarians, but I think there will be more mindful eaters. Um, okay. I, I really do think so. And you can see a big push uh, a big segment of the, you know, people also going into plant-based diets, for example. Um, but that's why we also have launched a vegan menu, for example, in Queens, you know. And um, I really see a lot of people exploring a bit more, uh, you know, cuisines being more mindful as well. So that's definitely something that um, we have to be a lookout for. Well, I'm definitely not going to be in the in the vegan menu anytime soon. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. I can promise you that. And. I think definitely uh, B, you have to be stronger uh, digitally. And if, if you don't, you know, if you don't have a, a good, strong story background or storyline, you gotta still build, be building on that, you know? Right. Um, because I think the options are just never ending now, you know? How would you differentiate yourself, especially as, as a new FNB uh, restaurant or business? You have to have a, a storyline that people will stick to. With us, we're lucky in Queens because we have, we have a strong, uh, client base and a customer base who's been with us, loyal with us for the last 30, 34 years. So it's a bit easier uh, for us. And also the food that we serve is comfort food and we give you that flexibility of delivering, free deliveries and so on. Um, so it, it was sort of, uh, you know, our deliveries were still doing really well. But in the future, I think that, you know, when, when you are able to communicate your vision and stories, not just through food photos, um, but through other other methods as well through uh, online, I think it will be be really awesome. So you know, a lot of businesses, especially a lot of entrepreneurs, before COVID, a lot of them were very interested in FNB, and I think FNB before COVID, you know, was like this super exciting and like you know always growing industry. More people are going into the industry every single day. New restaurants popping up, but with COVID, a lot of these entrepreneurs have been discouraged, you know, with continuing their businesses and 
a lot has even closed down uh, because of the pandemic. But as a restaurateur yourself, do you still consider uh, the F&B industry to be an exciting one even after COVID? Oh, yes, definitely. Especially in Jakarta. Okay. It's crazy because, because you have a lot of people, um, you know, the competition just push you to the limits where you have to innovate and network. We are going to go back um, in terms of, you know, how Jakarta is the, the hustle and the bustle and the, the busy nightlife. We are going to go back to that after, um, hopefully after at the end of this year or next year. Um, and, 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 you know, it's really going to be pushing a lot of people to their boundaries in terms of sharing experiences, sharing uh, food stories. As I said, the more, more of the restaurants will be pushing into all these experience, selling their experiences and stories. Um, but you also have a lot of, um, of course, young entrepreneurs trying to set up um, cloud kitchen companies with low cost, for example, and low investments. And they see a strong opportunity in there because there's a lot of success stories, as you can see now in, in the cloud kitchen business. So you see a heavy push amongst the young people uh, within the cloud kitchen industry and the ghost kitchen industry. Uh, but with restaurants, I really don't want to be, uh, you know, people shouldn't really be put off because I think there's a lot more that uh, the country can still explore. Right. So moving on, you know, to our Q&A segment, because we got some Q&As uh, for you. Actually, we got some questions uh, from our listeners from all around the world. So one yeah. uh, is actually from Indonesia. Uh so his question is that I think he's a Queen's customer because his question is quite specific. He said, I see that your digital initiatives have been quite a success. Uh, apart from yeah. the digital strategy that you did, what other digitalization strategies do you want to pursue in the future uh, or in the long term, if any? Mm-hmm. What more than storytelling? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I Movie making? No, so within the storytelling, there will be a lot of uh, video production as well. Right. Um, so let's say if we have a, we are doing a campaign on South Indian food, right? Uh, right. We'll be doing, we'll be sharing the day-to-day life of um, an actual South Indian person, right? Um, and maybe throwing in what what are the similarities of their life and into an Indian, uh, sorry, in an Indonesian, and you know. So video production is definitely one thing, uh, but I think I will be focusing heavily on, on, on more of my storytelling and experiences within the restaurant. I, I don't know yet uh, what other realms I'll be exploring digitally, but we might be tapping into the cloud kitchen industry as well. Uh, I don't see why every restaurant shouldn't at this point to adapt uh, in the coming months. Right. So there, I think the digital platform will need to be a lot stronger than Queen's because it needs to be reaching out to a wider market. You're playing with the master uh, at affordable prices. So how will they accept the food that you want to give out knowing that there's so many other options, you know, right. that sort of storyline there will be a lot more important um, than, uh, than what we have here in Queens. Okay. Well, uh, we have another question for you. So uh, this is a listener from uh, Australia. So the question mm-hmm. is regarding delivery uh, with, uh, within you know uh, the fine dining industry and Queens. Yeah. For those of you that don't know, Queens is actually a, a fine dining Indian restaurant, so it's you know the top of the top. Uh, 
So it's not your hole in the wall kind of a place. I mean, I, I would say, <laughs> I would say it's a more of a family, upscale family dining. I wouldn't call it a fine dining uh, Indian okay. because I would not be doing justice to the actual fine dining uh, restaurants that you get in, uh, you know, all over the world. Um, because I, I don't see yet, I mean, there's only since a rise and people are only starting to accept Indian cuisine. So I think it won't be until the next two, three years that people are going to ex- start accepting Indian fine dining food. So I'd call us a family family dining restaurant. Fam- okay, <laughs> family upscale dining. So, you know, the question yeah. is that uh, for you guys, like a family upscale dining restaurant, um, how important has deliveries become during the pandemic? Yeah, super important. As I said, uh, our food was mostly uh, comfort related. So that sense, before the pandemic, we were already doing so many deliveries and, you know, small catering to different small uh, households as well. Uh, but on top of that, uh, as I said earlier, we had to innovate uh, and think of unique experiences or ways on how to bring the restaurant experiences, uh, restaurant experience to our uh, customers' home. And we came up with an idea of uh, what we call the Indian Supper Club box, yep. where it's an actual like shoe box size where when you open it, there's like a barcode where you scan and you can see my face popping up or my colleague's uh, face showcasing you how to prepare the meal in the box. And that experience uh, was not uh, just serving the, the queen's food that was there in the menu, but we had to come up with different ways. One of the example was uh, a dish called Randang Briyani which is sort of bridge, bridging the gap between uh, Indian and Indonesian flavors, telling our customers the similarities between Indonesian and Indian food, because a lot of the Indonesian customers perceive Indian food as you know, one that gives you the, the runs and the deli belly. So we yeah. want to actually educate the market at that point with that supper club box that, you know, hey, it's not so much different to Indonesian food. You know, you have so many regions as well to explore. And a lot of the Indonesian food was actually derived from India, one of them is Kwe Appam, you know, and the Ayam Gulai and, and, and so on. So the Supper Club box was a really big hit for us. And every month we came up with different experience or every two weeks we came up with different experiences. Uh, and we did a lot of storytelling on the background of that dish that we came up with. Another one we did was a, was a dish called Kampung Madras, mm-hmm. where in the box itself, we had a banana leaf where you would open and clean with the family. And there was like 10 different dishes uh, and condiments that you would serve and have with the family. And that sort of brought brought the experiences of Kampung Madras uh, in Medan and spoke about the people that live there uh, coming in, how their, their success stories in Medan, for example, you know? Okay. Um, so the sort of elevating experiences through different ideas, uh, like the supper club really, really uh, helped us a lot during the pandemic. So actually, there is one more question. I saved the best for the last. So it's one of uh, a listener from the States, from America. So mm-hmm. uh, the question is that um, I'm also an Indian restaurant, restaurateur, he said. And uh, mm-hmm. during this pandemic, uh, business has not been uh, the best. And uh, as a fellow Indian restaurateur, what advice would you like to, uh, what advice could you give me uh, that could, uh, you know, that could possibly help? Well, that's pretty much the whole show, right? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, this is a very specific question because, and I included this question because yeah. I think out of all the questions that I received, this one was very specific, and yeah, it's something that I think you could personally also relate with. 
but yeah, maybe, okay. yeah. How would you make like sh- like condense it? I would say that ha- like all of this. I think I don't know what I mean the specific Indian cuisine that he or she may be serving, but I'm guessing that in America you have a lot more options when it comes to Indian food. I mean, even though we're seeing a rise here, but I think in America it's more generalized. So if you are in that specific, you know, Indian uh, restaurant industry, there's sort of no way to differentiate your food, right? I know, you know, we we say our food is better than the other restaurant, and so but every restaurant will have their 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 own customer base. I'm I would just really focus on storytelling, like really, how did you get started? Like we want to know more about um, you and your business and how you are actually adapting uh, in the pandemic and maybe tell the stories of your staff, uh, do some, some initiatives there. And, you know, uh, you know this, this will sort of build the trust between you, uh, your restaurant and your customer base and sort of give a better word of mouth from that sense that, you know, hey, despite these challenging times, you are actually making use of your time to tell your story. Um, and it, it will sort of give you a big boost as well, I think, with your, um, not, I mean, with your sales, yes, but also with your brand presence. I see. Well, first of all, thank you, Girish, uh, for answering all those three questions. And, you know, for the listeners who have given your questions as well, uh, thank you very much. Unfortunately, like I mentioned in all episodes, you know, I can't, um, you know, include all questions because of the uh, time restriction. So, uh, yeah. I apologize for that, but thank you for submitting your questions. And Girish, thank you very much for uh, sharing and asking, I mean, and answering all the questions that uh, that people have asked. So any closing statement that maybe you'd like to share with us, like anything? Um, I think to all my FNB friends out there, just hang in there. I mean, you know, the government has, I mean, the pandemic, I wouldn't say just the government, they're doing what's best for us. I would agree with that. Uh, but, you know, the pandemic is throwing different, different, you know, sort of uh, <laughs> negative, you know, vibes to us or right. sort of uh, blockage to our uh, business. I would just say hang in there, make the most of your time. Uh, now looking back, cleaning your books if you want or, uh, you know, seeing what's necessary, what's not necessary within the business and also telling your story. So that would be my advice for the current, uh, you know, my FNB friends out there. Um, but for the newbies, I think, uh, you know, don't, uh, you know, don't let the pandemic sort of put you off because I think the FNB industry, there's still a lot more to explore, especially here in Jakarta. We have still a lot more to learn. We're only getting, you know, ex- um, exposed to new experiences and new, um, you know, sort of different types of cuisines. And the pandemic will only push us to give you better experiences anyway. So right. that way, I, I don't want anybody to be put off. I really want them to also invest um, uh, in the industry. All right. Awesome. Well, once again, thank you, Girish. Uh, thank you for coming on to the show. Thank you for sharing and, you know, basically, you know, sharing your experiences with us and, you know, Queens's experiences during the pandemic. We really, really enjoyed it. And I'm pretty sure uh, the audience would also be, you know, very, very grateful to be able to listen to your story. So thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, I'm really glad. Pleasure. Pleasure so much, Brandon. Thank you. All right. Awesome. So guys, if you, you know, for those Indonesian listeners, well, more specifically, Jakarta listeners, if you want to check out um, Queen's Tandoor, uh, so where where, they, where can they find Queen's Tandoor, Girish? So Instagram would be the best place. All right. Awesome. So you can just follow their Instagram. 
I I usually would go to the uh, Sun Lake Hotel branch, but again, that was you know that branch has unfortunately closed, so you have to go to the ones in Tamrin. But I'm pretty sure you know for all Jakarta listeners, you know the name Queens is pretty much very familiar in your ears by now, so I'm pretty sure you won't yeah. have a problem finding it. All right. And well, really, yeah. I want to, sorry, Brandon. I just want to give a shout out as well to any of the FNB guys yeah. out there who want to connect or anybody looking into to entering the FNB industry. Uh, just give us a DM on on our page and in, 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 on Instagram. And you know, if you want to drop by and connect with me, uh, feel free. I'd be happy to to you know host you guys as well. All right. Awesome. Well, Giresh, thank you so much for coming onto the show once again. Thank you for sharing your stories. Uh, yeah, would really Thanks. love to have you on the show again in the future. All right. Uh, so, guys, that's all our episode for today. Thank you very much for tuning in. And I really hope you guys enjoyed that as- episode as much as I did. I really had a great time. And I'm hopefully Giresh had a great time as well. So, yeah, Definitely. thank you for tuning in to Bento Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Ben. And I'll see you next week.